Welcome to another episode of Obiter Dicta, Bloomsbury Professionals podcast on all things law and tax with me, Rachel Sherlock, and also Gronya McMahon. Today we are bringing you part one of an interview with Yvonne Daly, Professor of Criminal Law and Evidence at Dublin City University, where she has specific research focus on effective criminal defence and legal regulation of criminal investigations. Yvonne and her colleague, Dr. Vicky Conway, were central to the development of the bespoke Superlat training programme for criminal defence practitioners attending police station interviews, which was developed with colleagues across Europe as part of an EU-funded project. They have delivered this training to over 100 criminal defence solicitors in Ireland in conjunction with the Law Society of Ireland and contributed to Garda training on the topic. She and Vicky are authors of the new book, Criminal Defence Representation at Garda Stations. With so much to discuss, we've decided to split this interview into two parts. The second part will be released in June. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast, Yvonne. It's a pleasure to have you. Delighted to be here. So to begin with, congratulations on your new book. Can you tell me about it? Yes, thanks very much. So this is a book that I wrote with my colleague, uh, Dr. Vicky Conway, in relation to the role of lawyers in the police station. So criminal defence representation in Garda stations. And, um, you know, I'm really happy to have it at this stage of publication. I'm hoping it's going to be a useful resource for lawyers and also for people working, you know, not necessarily those who just go into the station, but for others working at different stages of the criminal justice system to give them some insights as to what happens at that stage of the process or for anyone really with an interest in uh, what can often be a kind of a hidden invisible space within the criminal justice system. Yeah, and the book, I believe, was inspired by the Superlat training, which yourself and Vicky delivered to the Law Society. Could you explain uh, what that training is about? Yes. So the Superlat project was an EU-funded project. We at Dublin City University, we were the Irish partners. Um, There was partners in Belgium, the Netherlands and Hungary as well. And because in all of those jurisdictions, the notion of having a lawyer present throughout a police interview uh, was a new thing in each of those jurisdictions, as compared to England and Wales, let's say, where that's been going on. So that's been part of their process since the 1980s. So the, the Superlat project was a project to design and deliver bespoke training for lawyers who attend at police stations. So we developed it at a kind of a European level across the four jurisdictions and then each transferred it to the specifics of your own jurisdiction And we delivered it then, as you say, the Law Society came on board and we delivered it as a Law Society masterclass. Uh, And initially we we delivered the trainer session. So we trained about 12 or 14 solicitors. We took them through the programme and then asked a number of those to join us in delivering the programme on to others in the Train the Practitioner series. So altogether we trained through that initial stage and then later on the Law Society were very supportive as well of rolling out the training further We trained um, 100 solicitors in total uh, in Ireland under the project. So it was a really hands-on type of training, you know, not just lecture-based. There was a number of e-learning modules that participants had to complete before we came for two face-to-face sessions with role plays and interactive exercises and discussions. And then there's a further follow-up day just coming back to people once they've been into stations again and been using some of the new skills maybe that they had developed through the Superlat project. And, and it was really, I mean, for, for Vicky and I as academics, it was really nice to speak to people about what was happening on the ground and to hear from solicitors about their day-to-day interactions in stations, interactions with their clients, interactions with Gardaí, uh, with interpreters, doctors and so on in the system, and just to get a sense of 
you know, what was really happening uh, at the coal face, I suppose. But for the practitioners as well, they really enjoyed having a chance to meet others who were doing the same type of work because it's, it's really, as I say, you know, the guard station is kind of a, a hidden space and solicitors don't know what other solicitors do in the guard station. They only know what they themselves do. Whereas if you went down to the court today, you could watch how another solicitor uh, moves a particular motion or, or makes a particular application to the court. Whereas unless you have the opportunity maybe to, to view a video of what's happened in the police station as, as part of taking over in a case, maybe or something like that, you don't really know how other solicitors conduct themselves in the interview or how they conduct consultations and so on. So that was a real, a really good part of the training for the solicitors was just to, to talk to one another about the different experiences. And I think they felt very reassured when they heard that other people were having the same are facing the same challenges because it's difficult work. The, the station work is really difficult work. Yvonne, lovely to have you. Um, yourself and Vicky have done great work in the criminal defence space and we want to recognise Vicky's contribution to this fantastic book. Would you tell us a little bit about Vicky? Yeah, thanks, Grania. Um Yeah, Vicky was a fantastic uh, person, a fantastic academic, a fantastic colleague and friend. Vicky and I knew each other since college. She was a year ahead of me in UCC. We were both studying law there some small years ago. And we would have stayed in touch then as she went on to do her master's. And we both did PhDs in different places and so on. And she came then to, to work with us at DCU in 2015. Um, and it was uh, really great to have her arriving in. I had kind of been the only criminal law person at DCU to that point. So it was great to have a criminal law buddy. And, um, you know, she, Vicky was really the type of person to just get stuck in immediately when she'd be involved in something and to really bring lots of passion to a project and to, um, you know, bring all of her skill and know-how. So, so her uh, background and her research was really in police oversight and policing in general. Mine is more on the kind of law of evidence side of things, criminal procedure. Um, but So our, our, our skill sets or our academic backgrounds really sort of complemented one another, I suppose. And as she arrived in DCU in 2015, I was just about to go on maternity leave, uh, but the, the Super Lab project was just about to kick off. And so I suggested to Vicky that this might be something fantastic to get involved in, you know, rather than just lumbering a new colleague with something as they were arriving. But she was really interested in it and, and really could see, you know, the importance of this issue um, because of the importance of what happens in the police station to how trials come on afterwards or, or you know or whether there is a trial or not and uh, so she was really interested really passionate as I say from the beginning and brilliant as well you know across the training she, she was really good at bringing people together she always knew somebody you say oh you know it'd be great if we knew somebody who could who could speak to this topic or could maybe record a video or something she oh I know such and such a person I met them at a conference 10 years ago and we've stayed in touch since so she was great for that sort of thing really really bringing people together and of course, she was doing a, a fantastic podcast as well uh, on policing in Ireland and, and talking to people about their experiences of being uh, subject to policing in Ireland. And I think that that was uh, some really important work she was doing not too long before she uh, before she passed away. So it, it's a real loss, um, both on a personal and a professional level to, to for Vicky to be gone. But this book and this, this project, this work we were doing about the police station, you know, I know that she was really proud of this work and, and as am I, and that she thought it was really important work um, and that we felt together that we were, you know, in a way having an impact in this area and helping solicitors because they each are so busy doing their own 
uh, roles and going into the station, advising clients, speaking to or speaking to Gardaí, following up on things and so on, that they they weren't able to stand back and see the full picture maybe in a way that we as academics coming in could sort of say, well, you know, this is what's going on. And, and, and so what we did as a follow-up to the Superlat project um, was to interview uh, solicitors around the country. So we conducted semi-structured qualitative interviews with 44 solicitors all around Ireland about their experiences in the station to sort of document those in a more um, cohesive way, maybe, and to analyse those so that we could then produce the book, which which sort of both gives an insight as to what's happening in guard stations at the moment from the perspective, I suppose, of, of the lawyer coming in and also tries to provide some guidance for the lawyers on what they could be doing in the station, what they should be doing in the station. I mean, it's not prescriptive in the sense of not telling anyone go into the station, do A, B and C and everything will work out perfectly for you and your client. But it's just pointing to issues, I suppose, and challenges uh, which lawyers have told us about uh, and suggesting ways of maybe addressing some of that. Um, indeed. And it's, it, it, I'm sure it's bittersweet for you now with the book coming out um, because I know Vicky did a huge amount of work on the book and, you know, we were always getting emails from both of you. But can we talk about the Superlash programme? I know you said that you suggested to Vicky that you do it, but... How did it end up coming to you guys and how did you guys end up delivering all that training? And I, I know you've said that your role involves more evidence and, and procedures. So I'm just kind of interested in, in terms of how you guys ended up doing the training. Um, yeah, I suppose it's the kind of um, networking, I suppose, is the official term for it. But it's just sort of knowing people who are involved in what you're also interested in. So uh, there was a conference held in Dublin a couple of years ago, a good few years ago now, I guess, when when lawyers were first allowed into the interviews, there was a conference put together relatively quickly. And at that, I met um, Jodie Blackstock, who works for Justice in the UK. And she was involved in um, Inside Police Custody, which is another EU-funded project, which looked at what happens in police stations in England and Wales, uh, in France and um, in the Netherlands. And Scotland also, I think, was part of that project. And I was just talking to, to Jodie Blackstock and telling her how interested I was in this topic. And then she told me, you know, that the same group who had worked on Inside Police Custody were looking at developing training and put me in contact uh, with colleagues at Maastricht who were, were planning to apply for funding uh, for what became Superlash. So it was, you know, when people speak to particularly junior academics, you know, about the need to network, it can sound like a very sort of high level thing. And, and I know that younger colleagues in particular or more junior colleagues can feel a need when they're at conferences, like now I must do my networking. But it's really just more, you know, being open to people and chatting to people about what you're interested in. And so it, was, it happened relatively naturally then in that she put me in touch with, with the group in Maastricht who were planning the training or planning to apply for the funding to develop the training. Anna Pavati is the, the main person who was uh, the sort of linchpin for the project there uh, and is a, a real, again, a great person to bring people together and just to drive projects forward and so on. And, and we've worked with Anna, uh, Vicky and I worked with Anna again since in another project specifically on the right to remain silent, which is reflected in this book as well in, in the chapter, which specifically looks at that. Uh, and that one was called Emprise. These, uh, these EU funded projects require um, acronyms so that, uh, yeah so again and, and that helped to broaden our network further then there was 
um, an Italian uh, part to that Emprise research, you know, and so bit by bit, you get to know more, more and more people who are working this area. And of course, what's always interesting and sometimes surprising is that, you know, to hear the differences between different uh, jurisdictions and how they're operating and the rules and so on. In the Netherlands, for example, there's a 15 minute limit to your consultation with the, a client in, in, the, in the police station, uh, whereas there's no official limit on that here, though the detention clock is obviously ticking and there's a bit of pressure. But um, yeah, so just, you know, differences like that. So sometimes you think that your own uh, criminal justice system is perhaps you know, the worst in show. And then you hear of things that are happening elsewhere. And you say, oh, we're, we're not doing too badly with some of these things either. Um, you've given like a, a great insight into that. But I just wondered if you could maybe give us a little bit more information about the training and what it was like to work with solicitors and what what was their key takeaways from the training? Yeah, um, I remember um, Vicky and I and uh, a colleague in the, the School of Education in DCU, Ivan Crotty, we worked on putting the e-learning modules together. So there, I think there was six e-learning modules. People needed to complete them before they came to the face-to-face day. It was sort of, you know, getting the law out of the way to some extent because the face-to-face sessions were all about the softer skills, communication skills that are required in the guard station. But I remember we were working right up to Christmas. We wanted to release the um, e-learning modules early in January, maybe on the 2nd or 3rd of January. I think uh, Yvonne Crotty and I recorded some video in her parents' house on Christmas Eve that would be part of the e-learning modules. And uh, then I remember releasing them on like the 2nd of January and Vicky and I kind of waiting on our side of the of the system to see if anyone would log in to do the training. We got Nobody logged in until like two days before all the reflective pieces were due and so on. So, and the other thing that was happening at that time actually was the um, the Supreme Court decided the decision of uh, people in Doyle, where they didn't find a right to have your solicitor present in the interview as part of the constitutional right of access. That wasn't to say that they were saying you couldn't have your solicitor in the interview, but they just didn't take the opportunity in that case to recognise it as part of the constitutional right. And Vicky and I, this was, we were days away from starting the face-to-face training and we were a bit concerned, did this mean now that solicitors would not be allowed to remain in the interview? But that hasn't proven to be the case. And the European Court of Human Rights in Doyle reiterated that it's part of the convention right to have your lawyer present. So all of that was happening. But to get to the the content of the the session, so as I say, we sort of dealt with the the law and, and the sort of specific background issues, detention periods and so on in the e-learning modules. And then in the face-to-face sessions, it's really more about building communication skills and just focusing on the role of the lawyer in the station and and how that's quite different from any other role that uh, lawyers play. It's different from advocating in court. It's different as well from having a consultation with a client in your office. So uh, it was all about communication skills, rapport building skills. And we suggested to lawyers that they should ask open questions partly so that the discussion with their client doesn't feel like an interrogation, that it's part of the rapport building exercise, but also to help uh, you to give the best advice to this particular detainee or this particular accused person. Uh, You need to have a a pretty clear picture of, of their version of events so that you can properly advise them. And we focus some of the time on the consultation and some of the time on the interview. And in terms of the sort of takeaway you're asking about, 
I think a lot of the solicitors came to the training looking for support on what to do in the interview, because that was the new part of their role, whereas they had been attending to give advice in consultations, you know, for a long number of years. But actually, I think what most of them took away from it, and they've said that to us, is is the difference of approach in their consultation. Because if you're um, undertaking a consultation with someone for an interview at which you are going to be present, that's maybe different from what you would, the advice in a consultation you would have with them for an interview where you're then leaving them, them to it. And people had maybe been doing this for a long number of years without stopping to think about what they were doing and how they were doing it. And if there was maybe a better way to do it or not. So I think that the training really helped um, solicitors to just stop and think about what they were doing. We asked them to consider their own core professional values as well. And again, the training isn't prescriptive. It's, it's not saying do this, do that, do the other. The same goes for the book. But it's just asking people to stop and think about their own practice and to consider, you know, maybe alternative ways of doing things or to get a real sense of themselves to stop and think, why is this? how I approach things and could I be doing it maybe in a different way yes yeah, so it's, it's all about the sort of softer skills because I really you know I sort of sometimes imagine a solicitor arriving at the station and all of the different people they need to talk to along the way before they get to leave the station again let's say if they're staying for the interview you know they must meet with the member in charge have a discussion with the member in charge about the custody and are there concerns does the doctor need to be called and so on do they need to speak to a doctor, an interpreter? Is there going to be a responsible adult there if you're dealing with a child or an adult with additional vulnerabilities? You need to speak to the investigating officers, maybe try to get some disclosure prior to the interview. You need to meet with your client who may be distressed by the situation or who may be presenting as if they're not distressed, but really they are. And then you must be in the interview, which is very serious um, business, obviously, for everyone involved. And I always just just think of the, the different types of communication that are needed for each of those interactions in the station and um, where, you know, the tension can be high, the stakes are high for your client. The stakes are also high for the Gardaí. And, and I know from speaking to retired Gardaí as part of the Emprise project, you know, that the Gardaí feel, particularly if it's um, a crime involving a very clear victim, let's say, the Gardaí kind of feel the pressure of that victim sitting on their shoulder and they really want to get justice in the case and they want to get answers in the interview and they want to, to build a case as well as they can. So the lawyer is kind of coming into the middle of all of that. And it's a, a sort of a strange environment, so different from court in the sense that there's there's no middle party. There's no referee, to put it in those terms. So if there is a dispute between what the Gardaí think is appropriate to do and what the solicitor thinks is appropriate to do, there's no independent sort of person there in the moment to decide what, what what would be the best approach. So, again, those communication skills are really important then. And, you know, as we try to get across in the book, it's about using those communication skills to protect your client's rights. It's not about scoring points or, you know, making your mark or anything like that. It, it, this is all about defending suspects in the police station, just ensuring the protection of people's rights and that things are done fairly and appropriately um, at that point in the process. Yvonne, thanks. And your passion for it really comes across. But what is it about this area of law that makes you so passionate about it? Yeah, as I say, Vicky and I were, were both really passionate about this area. And I think it's I think it's, as I said at the beginning, it's the hidden nature of this space. You know, we, you don't often get to see what's actually happened in the Garda station. You know, I mentioned the videos might be played maybe at trial. Those will be snippets of what's happened 
you know, in 90% of cases, there isn't a trial, you know, so we only see about 10% of cases coming to court. And it's only in a smaller percentage, again, of those in which you're likely to view the video of what's happened. And so I just think it's, 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 it's been a hidden space that we need to look at a little more carefully, because what happens in the Garda station can be so impactful on the ultimate disposal of the case, whether somebody ultimately uh, pleads guilty or not, or tries to challenge what's happened in the Garda station. And I suppose my own uh, research prior to, to this has been looking at the development of Garda powers and their interaction with suspect rights over the years in Ireland, uh, back since around the 1980s, let's say, with the first introduction of a general power of arrest for detention. And, you know, back, back then you could be arrested and detained for questioning. There was no video recording initially of what was happening in the Garda station. So lots of trials involved a trial within a trial trying to, you know, with one side saying, oh, I, I didn't make that confession or this is the only reason I made that confession. And the prosecution saying, you know, they made the confession. There's no issue around voluntariness. And, and that being a complete blind spot where we couldn't see what had happened. You know, the introduction of audiovisual recording improved that to a large extent. But there's still tensions within the system. There's still the risks of miscarriages of justice or, or risks of unfairness in the system. And, you know, I've always been interested in the development of the process from a legal perspective and let's say the impact of the European Court of Human Rights, the European Convention of Human Rights on pushing the boundaries maybe of some of the rights which we had recognised in Ireland at a more restricted level. And I've always been interested well in the right to remain silent and the, the safeguards around that and so on and inferences and all of that. And so this project initially through the training with Superlat and then the interviews that Vicky and I did which has sort of all come together, I guess, in the book, has just allowed us to look beyond the law on the books, to look at the law in action and say, well, OK, you know, the, these are the rules of engagement such as they such as they are. But what's actually happening, you know, what's actually happening on the ground and to, to shine a, a, something of a light on that and just say, well, this is this is what uh, lawyers are saying about their experiences in, in Garda stations and uh, and again, being able to sort of uh, pull back and look at the full picture maybe of, of how things are are playing out. Now, I think it might partly go back to a misspent teenage years watching a lot of The Bill as well. <laughs> so I've always been interested in uh, in the police station for some reason um, and, and what goes on there. So That's fantastic. I love that. And you, you're a real advocate for active client-centred lawyering and that very much comes across in the book. And I just wondered if you could explain how to do this and like why it's so important. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's great to have the right of access to legal advice or access to legal assistance in the Garda station, but it could actually really do more harm than good if you have a passive solicitor sitting through an interview because it lends some level of imprimatur to what's going on in the room. So lawyers who are doing this work, uh, we say in the book, need to be active and client-centred. If I start with client-centred, I suppose that's to say that not every client is the same. Every client is going to have different needs. We say in the book that we think everyone is vulnerable to a certain extent when they're in the police station, but some clients will have more specific vulnerabilities which will need to be addressed. Obviously, everyone will be dealing with a different fact scenario and so on. So there's not a sort of one size fits all in terms of the advice which should be given to clients. And we feel that lawyers really need to be fully engaged with their client, listening to their client's needs, 
uh, and sort of conscious as to additional safeguards they might need to try to put in place for particular clients and so on. So the work needs to be client-centered in that you're not just coming in, giving everyone the same advice and that's it. You're really listening and engaging with the client and helping them to come to the decision which will maybe be best for them. Obviously, it's their decision, let's say, whether they want to answer questions in the interview or not, but really helping that person to to get to a point where they can make that decision, uh, which might require, you know, helping somebody to calm down a little bit so that they can really understand what's happening and they can hear what's happening um, rather than, you know, sometimes you solicitor might come in and a client is really frazzled by the situation they're in or is thinking about you know I'm supposed to pick up my child from school in two hours who's going to do that all those sorts of issues so you know part of being client-centered is maybe you may need to address some of those external concerns so that you can help the person to focus in the moment on what's important right now and also dealing with you know concerns which arise a lot that the person just wants to get out of the police station and will do or say whatever they need to do or say to get out and that they can't focus on the more long-term consequences of what they're they're doing so that's the client-centered aspect of it and the active uh, nature as i say i think that a passive lawyer can do more harm um, than good but when we say that someone needs to be an active lawyer uh, we don't mean that they need to be jumping out of their chair throughout the interview and interrupting and, and you know on all sorts of grounds uh, you can be an active lawyer by just being very alert throughout let's say the interview keeping an eye on how your client is doing both sort of emotionally as, as well as anything else taking good notes can be really important so that you have your record as the lawyer of what's happened let's say if there's been something where you have objected to the way in which a question has been asked that you've taken a timestamp of, of when that objection was raised yeah, but certainly intervening if necessary in order to protect your client's interests or maybe to ask that a question be rephrased or let's say a, a guard asks a question that has two or three components to it and you're aware that your client you know intellectually probably isn't going to be able to process all of that in one go that you could ask you know could you ask the first part of that question first and and you know that sort of thing so so being active has lots of different aspects to it it's not suggesting that lawyers should be necessarily interventionist but they need to be fully engaged in what's happening at the moment and we recognize as well and we discussed it in the book the uh, different demands on lawyers time and they they can sometimes you know be called to the station out of the blue when they've you know they're they're at court they have other things to do suddenly they have to go to the station they have to pass over some of their court work or it's Saturday morning they're training their kids GAA team or something and suddenly they have to go to the station. And, and it's important for lawyers when they do that to, to sort of leave all of that outside the door and to really be focused and attendant and attentive when they're in the station, looking after their clients' specific needs in a client-centered manner um, and, and being active, that they're there. They're, you know, they're not sitting in the interview thinking, you know, I wonder how the football is going, you know, that they're they're really present and, and are doing everything supposed to keep an eye out for their client and again there's a lot to do to, to you know see how make sure your client is still doing okay if the client seems distressed to maybe seek to have a consultation with them or to check in that they're okay to offer support in that way um, and as I say note taking that kind of thing all of those things so being active isn't sort of a, a strange thing to ask lawyers to do I suppose in this context but it's um, it's really important though because if, if the lawyer is just sitting there they're not objecting to questions. They're not checking if their client is okay. They're not taking a note of what's going on, uh, you know, but there, there is a risk, I suppose. We discussed the risk of this a little bit in the book as well, 
you know, will a judge turn around and say, well, okay, the, the question was asked, maybe it wasn't great, but the lawyer didn't interrupt at the time. So, you know, when you had your lawyer there, so everything is fine. So I just think that if the lawyer is there, they, they need to be active and client-centred. Um, Yvonne, part of, of that active client-centred lawyering is address. Now that's A-D-J-R-E-S-S. Would you briefly talk us through that? Because the book kind of goes through this quite a lot and I think it's really easy to remember it and it's you know it's it's really important that um well there's, there's some really good tips there in in that yeah thanks Gordon. I'm glad you think it's easy to remember that that's what we were aiming for um and, and maybe it was the influence of these EU funded projects where you have to have a, a, an acronym yeah Vicky and I had sort of put together based on our research and based on the training and our interactions with lawyers and so on a sort of a list of um, things that a lawyer should be doing, you know, a list of what are what is the role of the lawyer in the guard station. Um, and so we came up with this list of seven things that a lawyer needs to be doing. And we're using this acronym ADDRESS, um, as you say, it's A-D-J or E-S-S, uh, just to try to help lawyers maybe, if, you know, if, if they're in a situation, they're suddenly thinking, what should I be doing here, that they could quickly run through it in their heads. So the first is to advise uh, obviously, it's important that a lawyer will provide legal advice to a detained um, suspect. I guess that one is, is pretty straightforward. And secondly, to actively defend. That's the D, to actively defend their clients' rights. And I mean, it has been recognised by both the Irish courts and the European Court of Human Rights that defence really starts at this point in the process. Your, your defence begins in the police station. Not You don't have to wait until later than that. So an active defence and again, this doesn't have to be jumping out of your chair the whole time. This is, again, just thinking ahead. What are the issues that we might need to put on record now if we want to rely on them later as a defence at trial and so on? Um, and just providing already that thinking ahead. And of course, lawyers are well placed to do this, you know, and it can take a while, I guess, to build up the experience. But an experienced lawyer will be able to think ahead to how things might play out later in the process and to try to put things in place now that will assist with that. Uh, J is to prevent miscarriages of justice. That's the J, uh, to prevent miscarriages of justice. And, you know, I think we can sometimes maybe be a bit complacent and think that we're beyond the point where we might have miscarriages of justice in our criminal justice system, but but we're really not. And no criminal justice process in any jurisdiction really is beyond the point where they could say that there's not a risk there of people making false confessions or or even in the UK, we've seen some issues around DNA evidence and so on as well in recent years. So we're not beyond the point of miscarriage of justice and just that lawyers should be alert to that in all senses. Um, and if, let's say, a, a suspect tells them that something has been said to them outside of the interview room, which is playing on their mind, that the lawyer would be able to help the person to think about that or to, to you know, not to take that into account in their decision as to whether they're going to answer certain questions and so on. So the or in address is to protect rights. It's important to protect the rights of the suspect, um, including, you know, asking for things like access to medical assistance for the suspect if, if something like that is needed, either because the person is unwell or is injured, or maybe where the, there's a concern that the person is, is suffering with some mental health issue, maybe, which hasn't previously been diagnosed, but maybe impacting on them now. So the E then is to ensure an equality of arms. And I think that's important in the general sort of principled point of having access to a lawyer. And um, the prosecution and the guardee are the representatives of the state, the emanations of the state, and they have a lot of the power in the process. An individual has been arrested. And I always think that 
any of us could be arrested. Any of us could find ourselves in the Garda station accused of uh, some particular offence. And I think that the, having a lawyer with you does provide some level of equality of arms, particularly from the perspective of their knowledge of the system. Even me as an academic, let's say if I was arrested, I wouldn't necessarily know the ins and outs of how things are going to proceed from here. And just to, I feel that having an independent lawyer with you would just give you some sense of equality. At least I've got somebody who knows how the system works uh, with me. And the, the first S in address is uh, to provide support. And I think that's part of it, again, just having an extra person on your side, uh, sitting on the same side of the table as you across from the Gardaí, that there's somebody there who is there on your behalf, who's there to ensure uh, fairness as much as they can. And, and there is a level of providing moral support as well. And the solicitors we spoke to recognise that, that their role is broader than just giving advice you know if you were just to come to the station and say well look you've been arrested under section four you can be held for this amount of hours the offense you've been charged with is under section blah whatever act you know that's not really particularly helpful to somebody if you just come in as a legal robot to give them legal advice and um, there is an element of providing moral support to the person as well and that's not saying that you're condoning anything they've done or you're empathizing with anything but you are uh, there for them on their side and I do think it's important for lawyers to provide that level of support because again it helps to maybe calm the person down to a point where they can then make informed decisions about what they want to do and the final s in address is to protect the right to silence and obviously everyone has an entitlement to the right to silence in the Garda station there are specific circumstances where inferences could be drawn from a failure or refusal to answer certain questions but I think that that can be a really difficult decision to make. So should I not answer this question and run the risk of an inference being drawn if there's a trial? Or should I answer it now and provide certain information to the guardee? And we deal with all of that. There's a, there's a whole chapter in the book on pre-interview disclosure in particular and the right to silence, uh, looking at inferences and so on. And, and again, it's a place where we say that one size doesn't fit all. It may not be the best approach to tell every suspect to remain silent all the time. Um, there are lots of different factors, again, which a lawyer needs to sort of juggle in the air in order to come up with the best advice as to what a particular person should do in the particular circumstances of their case. Because there's obviously some uh, legislative provisions where you know failure to provide some level of cooperation might mean that you're facing a minimum mandatory sentence which you might otherwise possibly avoid if you do answer certain questions and in in the chapter on the right to silence as well we, we do also mention external pressures which clients are sometimes under not to answer any questions uh, for fear of what might happen if, if persons outside of the guard station know that questions have been answered so there's just a lot going on with the right to remain silent but certainly it is a part of the lawyer's role to help the um to advise and to help the client to decide what best to do in terms of that. So that's address, advise, defend, avoid miscarriages of justice, protect rights, ensure equality of arms, provide support and protect the right to silence. I, I think that's really helpful, even if you don't have the book. I mean, it's so easy to remember. But of course, the book is, is brilliant on going through this. There is no other book in Ireland that guides you through this area of law in terms of how to represent criminal law clients at guard stations but there was a similar type one in the UK with one of the authors being Ed Cape and Ed Cape has written the foreword for this book. Yeah Ed, Ed Cape's book is fantastic I think it's in its eighth edition now and, and he has um, 
additional co-authors involved now as well. So his defending suspects in police stations. And that book was to some extent an inspiration for this book. And we've borrowed some of uh, Ed's with, with, with his kind agreement and that of his co-authors, some of his approaches in places. Ed's book is a bit different in the sense that it goes through the Police and Criminal Evidence Act in the UK and the codes of practice which attach to it which are vast, you know, in terms of providing for what should happen when in police stations. And we don't have that type of in-depth regulation of the police station in Ireland. Even the the right to have a solicitor within the interview, it's not recognised as a constitutional right yet. It's actually not even recognised as a legislative right in Ireland yet. It's a kind of an entitlement uh, which has been allowed to happen on the basis of a letter from the DPP a number of years ago. You know, so as compared with PACE in the UK, where there's a huge amount of regulation of every aspect of what happens in the police station. And the book that Ed Cape and others have, have written is fantastic in going through that and how that's been teased out but in case law and so on and so forth. And Ed has been really supportive to, to Vicky and I in this book as well. He's written a really nice forward for the book. And he also was involved in the Superlab project. He he did a great webinar for, for us that the participants were able to view. But yeah, this, this, our book is different as well in the sense of having being based around those interviews with the solicitors and uh, where they've you know told us about how things are playing out on the ground as such so th- it's a bit more down in the in the weeds to some extent if you want to put it that way as compared with Ed's book which looks more at the regulation of, of the process and how that's been teased out in the courts and so on so again in Ireland you know we, we don't have that level of regulation we have the 1984 Act and the custody regulations that go along with that the electronic recording regulations you know, and the various other detention provisions in legislation, but there, there's not very specific rules on each and every engagement that you might have in the police station. Uh, uh, we do look in the book at the uh, Garda Code of Practice on access to a solicitor and at the Law Society's guidance on this, but those are obviously soft law, if even that. Um, they're just sort of rules, internal rules of engagement uh, from those two bodies, which sort of regulate the interaction between lawyers and Gardaí and, and we do go through those in, in a good amount of detail and that's all we have I suppose. Now there, there are some legislative plans at the moment, the Gardaí a Powers Bill for example, we just have the heads of that bill at the moment and uh, that's mentioned in a few places throughout the book and, and a few concerns we have actually about some of those proposed provisions but I, I think this is an area where there will be more legislative engagement. We do go through some of the important case law obviously in the area um, and I think there'll be more of that in the years to come as well. Uh, and that's what I like to some extent about the book as well. If it's okay to say that you like your own book, I think it provides a snapshot of where things are at the moment. Uh, and if in time we or, well, me or somebody else was to come back to this book, you know, that and see what's happened in the intervening years. Has there been more legislation? Has there been more case law? Has practices changed? Has the law changed? I think that that would be really interesting at a later point as well. That's it for another episode of Obiter Dicta. Thanks to Yvonne Daly for joining us on the podcast. And you can purchase criminal defence representation at Garda stations on bloomsburyprofessional.com. It is also available to subscribers of our Irish criminal law online service. Thanks for listening.